scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And, and this, this is... Dead Time Stories. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I tried wow. to hold it in. Professional. <laughs> And then I was like, when I finish, I'll turn away and burp, and then I'll get nope, say the spiel. I am so sorry. And I this is where all of the listeners who had tuned in are now hitting stop. <laughs> and they're saying, we're going to go back to what do other people listen to? Um, did we want to redo that? Or are you keeping that? <laughs> we'll keep it. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> A weekly podcast where Sarah and I talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Oh, that's because this is most definitely our show and not yours. We will own up to I'm- because of the body gases that are happening. It's our show. I'm so sorry. We did it. We did the damn thing. No, I I, I, I just felt think it's it funny. coming, and I was like, I was like, no, 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 and it just came out. <laughs> no, no, so no, 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 no way. <laughs> what would have been that really happens. funny is if you burped then at the end of that one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've told you this story before, but I remember the funniest fart I've ever heard in my life. Oh, please tell me. Uh, I might have told you the story before. So it was my brother and I didn't think the the first fart was funny. So I, he farted and it was like a like it was a big fart. And I like looked at him like kind of disgusted and he like made eye contact with me. And then he goes and the rebuttal. <laughs> like it was like a little it was just the tiniest little squeak fart. And that made me laugh really hard. Like you that was the funniest fart I've ever heard in my life. It's the delivery. <laughs> exactly. It's the delivery of the fart. It was right. Exactly. That he was so ready and he knew. I mean, I'm sure he didn't know it was going to be a squeak, but he knew it would be like a smaller fart. Something else was going to happen. It was so good. Oh, and the rebuttal. So- burp, burp. And yeah, just like the eye contact and like the little hip up. And he he listens to this show. Philip, to this day, that is the funniest fart I've ever heard in my life. That was in like college. Yeah. I was like, shit, man. That was really funny. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I'll give it to you. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to the show, stop right now. Please. If you go made it back. this far, stop and Listen go to back the to the first episode. I'm not just saying that because we're talking about farts and I burped. We literally tell people that every episode. Stop. Go, go back to the beginning, beginning and catch up. It'll make this moment even sweeter for you. It really will. And, you know, get here and you'll be like, oh, my God, it was this episode. This was where I came in. This is where I came in. I see the descent now. How lower can they go? (laughs) Just wait. I've thought about watching that recently because because we're watching horror movies. And I'm like, you know what? If I watch it in the daytime with three other people, I can do that. I'm not. I don't want to watch. That's the one where they get stuck (laughs) in the cave, right? Yeah. They're cave people. Mm Mm-mm. Uh, I think that's also now that I, this is all it's all coming back to me. Is that now. when you watched in your floral yes. arrangement class? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason at Sarah's high school, they had a floral. First of all, they had a floral arrangement class. And second, 
in their floral arrangement class, they watched like these rated R horror movies <laughs> in high school. Where the okay. oldest people in high school were seven or eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. So, so this, means this was like fifteen, sixteen year old kids. We were breaking the law. Um, to be fair, this was my elective. Everyone knew this was a fucking blow off class. It was out in the back building where shop and ROTC is. And they were like, just sit this class back there. The biggest thing we did all year was we made our own mums, which if you're from the South, you'll know. Or maybe it's only a Texas thing, the mums. I don't know. It's a big, huge homecoming flower that's like the size of your tit. And it's Mm -hmm. with ribbons all hanging down it. And it's all elaborate and you add stuff. The big ones have bells. Some girls show up with the big flower and a fucking teddy bear. They're huge. Gross. And it's like your, you know, typically it's, it is so sexist when I think back to it uh, and problematic, but typically it's that your significant other buys you this mum for homecoming as like a romantic gesture. But if you don't have a significant other, your parents will get it for you. And then if you have more money, you have a bigger mum. Is oh, honestly, course. it's like posturing with like, look how big my mom is. Mm-hmm. And some girls yeah, had never two. had any of that shit where I was. Yeah, it's kind of problematic. I think it's still I a mean, big we had deal. other different shit. Yeah. But we made our own um, moms, which was yeah. fun. And we did like floral arranging a handful of times. I honestly do not remember where the teacher went for the rest of the time. I just feel like there wasn't a teacher there and we were just showing up. And then these kids were bringing in the movies and in the room that we were in one line, like one wall had a line of computers. And so they just stuck it in the computer and it was, you can dick around and do your own thing or you can come over here and watch Saw 5 or The Descent (laughs) or Hostel or we watched House of Wax, and I'm sure there's going to be others that are going to pop up. Oh, Final Destination 2. So. We, um, so we had the Azalea Festival. That goes on in Wilmington. Um, that's their big thing. And around the Azalea Festival, there are the Azalea Bells, which they have recently discontinued this 50-plus year tradition, and some people were really mad about it. <laughs> Stay mad. But, you know, it has antiquated roots. So <laughs> by antiquated, I mean, you know, it's from like, civil- they dress yeah. in like these Southern Belle dresses that you would traditionally see, parentheses, white, in parentheses, women wearing <laughs> on the plantation. Because obviously you wouldn't see the black women wearing these on the plantation. It would be the white women. These like big frilly hoop skirt dresses. Um, and while... They have included, like, girls of color in the Azalea Bell Festival, you know, in the last, probably in the last, like, 20 years. I'm sure it was all white women when it first began. Oh, for sure. Without even looking, I'm quite positive. (laughs) But anyway, um, as far as I knew, it was all rich girls who participated in it. I didn't know any poor girls who were Azalea Bells, because I'm pretty sure you had to, like, buy the dress. But it's, like I said, these big, yep. like, hoop skirt dresses. And they would have their little parasols. And they would give, like, tours around the historic parts of downtown Wilmington. But, yeah, like, it was also, of course, you could, it were only girls could mm-hmm. be Azalea Bells. 
But yeah, they, I know they ended that tradition within the last like two or three years and people were really upset about it. And I've learned a lot about, (laughs) a lot about the racist history of my hometown very recently because it's been like national news. There was a book that came out that I heard about on NPR called Wilmington's Lie about this big coup where Wilmington, my hometown, used to be like 80% black and a bunch of white men got together and rioted and shot upwards of like 50 to 100 black men in the streets, ran all the black people out of town. And they were like, I'm the mayor now and I'm the treasurer, which all of these political stations were also held by black Americans. They were all run out of town. To this day, the uh, black population of Wilmington is only around 12%. So (laughs) that was a huge drop. Um, And there's this park. I learned about this coup a few years ago because I was thinking about this park that we used to go to. The big park in my hometown was Hugh McRae Park. And I was like, who was Hugh McRae? And I looked up Hugh McRae and he was one of the people that started this coup. And that's how I learned about it. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And his family donated it to the city of Wilmington to be a park under the stipulation that it be a whites-only park. Shut up. Yes. And it remained officially a whites-only park until, like, the 80s. But black people were going to that park before before that. But for a long time, it was a whites-only park. Jesus. Um, they, yeah. They recently renamed it and... Most of the family members, they, like, told them about it beforehand, and they were like, yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. And then it happened, and some of them were like, I mean, I wish they had told me. And I'm like, (laughs) I read an interview with you where you were like, I didn't have a problem with that. But they've renamed it uh, Longleaf Park, which the Longleaf Pine is a pine tree that's all over the place in Wilmington. But it is now Longleaf Park, no longer Hugh McRae Park. And there's a book about this coup because it had a big, it was after the Civil War, but it was a big part of pushing Black people out of power in the South after the Civil War. And it, like, set off a a big motion of that happening all over the place in the South. And the South still has not fully recovered from it. And that started in my hometown of Wilmington, North Carolina. That book is called Wilmington's Lie. I have not read it yet. I actually just got an email from the library because I had put in a request for it and it was all checked out that uh, the hold is off and I can get that book now if I want to read it. Nice. That's the history of my hometown. Wow. And that's fucking horrible. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm glad to know that they're doing things to change that now. Yes. And I also am glad to have learned that history, even though it's really awful, because I think it's very important to know. Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't know it either, so thank you for sharing. Yeah, isn't that f- there's fucking our, crazy? There's <laughs> our fucked up fact of there. the day. That's our fucked up fact of the day. Um, I like but, that. Yeah, they're they're trying to fix it. They're doing stuff. <laughs> it's something. It is something, which I I commend them for that because I'm from a very conservative area. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, there's little change happening. That's cute. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry if that like brought everything down. I I'm just like, thought that yeah. was fascinating. It was like it it brought it down, but it's also because I know what I'm talking about this week, and uh-uh. that's also like a we'll be able to to poke some fun and find some fun in this because it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, I told Stephanie, I was like, I'm very, very excited about this story, but that feels weird and that feels wrong because like people died. So I don't yeah. want to be like excited. Well, I would just say, yeah, like um, buckle up because Sarah's got a long story today. It is a this, long, Everything ride. that I just told, that's as much of as a story as I have because it's going to be a wild ride from what I understand. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. All right, everybody. So if you're ready for an intense but, like, fascinating story, we're about to get going. Now I'm afraid we built it up too much. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, God. Let's end the episode. Thank you. I'm Sarah. You told me you had eight pages worth of notes. I do. That, to me, sounds like it's fascinating. And I have audio clips. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Well, then I'm... Sarah. Ah! Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Sarah, what are you talking about? All right, so this week, um, this is actually a case that I think we'll be hearing a little bit more about soon. That's been in the news since 2019 and was apparently a big deal when it came out and everything was in motion. I did not hear about it until recently when I listened to a Dateline episode um, called Mommy Doomsday. So if anyone has listened to that, that's what I'm covering this week, but in depth. I'm already interested. Mommy Doomsday. Mommy Doomsday. And the other things that I've read of what people call this case are also hilarious. So... Today's story is the currently ongoing tale of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell and the motion that spurred all of this coming out and things happening. And I'm trying to think of the word that I want to use, but the catalyst was that Lori's two children in September of 2019 went missing And then that's when police started looking into things and a whole bunch got uncovered. So this story has everything, Stephanie. It has cults. It has zombies. Sarah, wait, wait, wait. Tell it to me like Stefan. It has every. This club has everything. (laughs) This club has everything. It has has cults. cults. It has. It has zombies. It has a grave digger, and the end of the world. Oh my god! I'm so here for New York's hottest club. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready? What's it called? Uh, it's called the Grave Digger and the Gold Digger. Uh-huh. That's one of the ways that they're referred to in the subreddit that I follow. And I saw that and I think oh it's hilarious. God. And I'll I let you know it. right now, it's because Chad Daybell, when he was in like high school and I think through college, he worked in a cemetery and part of the things he did was he dug graves. Graves. Sure. So anyways. So he wasn't actively a grave digger at the time of the story. No, 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 no. Really well for the story. Yes, for the it's very alliterative and some theories about what happened. But oh my god, real fast, there go. 
<laughs> I'm like, you're only getting me more excited. I'm just excited that you haven't heard of it because when I started to tell Charlie about this in like a test run of he telling like, the story, oh, yeah, he was like, yeah, me and my mom talked about that when it was happening. And I was like, all right, well, did you know this? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, great. So let's start. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, yeah, I did. I did know that. Mm-hmm. I was in that. <laughs> oh, no. Charlie was in the grave. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Charlie wasn't here. No, I know, I know. We can attest You're to You're like, it. Charlie, did you know about this? He was like, I was in that. <laughs> <gasps> when were you in Idaho? Oh, no. <sighs> All right. We're starting on November 26, 2019. The police are called to do a wellness check in the home of Lori Vallow to check on her son, JJ, and her daughter, Tylee. The children hadn't been seen since mid-September. And before we can go any further with this, we have to go way back, right? You're going to Tarantino it. Yes. So we start with... So you start here, and then you go back, and then you're going to bring me to this, and then go for... Ah! Yes. Sarah... It was the only way I could think of to do this because this timeline Perfect. and this family tree is confusing. And so I was I'm trying so to think of the right this. way to compile the information. And so I'm just doing it in a chronological timeline. Yeah. But you start in the middle and then go back. Yes, because you need to know yes. why they're now being looked at and what's happening. No, I get because... it. I love it. I'm so here for it. Okay. Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow born Lori Cox, June 26. 1973. She is a cancer, and I refuse to acknowledge <laughs> that that's what her emo- I mean, like that's why she's did. crazy. You just told me. I mean, I just I don't want Sarah her lumped cancer. in with you know the rest of us. She's also super Mormon. Everyone in this is LDS Church of Latter Day Saints. The best kind. <laughs> so Lori grows up in an incredibly Mormon household. Like, they have, honest to God, like me, I grew up in an incredibly Christian Southern Baptist household. There were pictures of passages from their Bible in, like, frames hung around the house. Um, she went to a, like, Bible study class before she went to school during high school. She was very ingrained in the Mormon church. In 1992, Lori marries her high school boyfriend, And then they get divorced like a year later. There's not much known about him. He got away. 1995, she marries William Lagoya. I might be saying that wrong. William. And with William, she has her first child, Colby. Okay. William Colby. Yeah. William doesn't matter because in 1998, she divorces William. Colby no, matters. Forget him. Colby. I remember Colby. Colby matters. Colby's her firstborn son. She divorces William. Colby describes this time period as like him and his mom were best friends. They were constantly together. He also describes it as they were picking up and moving around a lot. And so he was yeah. always sort of on the defensive. He was always very protective of his mother. The way he describes their relationship, and he even says in an interview that he kind of had to grow up quick, kind of fast. Um, And it's really because Lori sort of put him in more of a partner role than a child role. Oh, no. You know? Yeah, where she just sort of. I get it. Yeah. 2001, Lori marries Joseph Ryan, and Joe adopts Colby. In 2002, 
Lori and Joe have a daughter named Tylee. Tylee is Joe's Tylee. T-Y-L-E-E. Don't tell me how to spell it. I don't want to know. They're all white. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Sounds about white. Sounds about white. And the caucasity of these people. Girl, (laughs) you will be saying that so many times. Oh, no. Tylee is Joe's first child. Joe's family describes Joe as being ecstatic that he'd always wanted a baby girl, that he was just really ready to be a dad and was very, you know, at the time happy. But then in 2005, Joe and Lori divorce and it's messy. So Joe's sister in, you know, these interviews now does say that Joe did have a little bit of a temper and he was kind of a perfectionist. And so it seemed like their marriage wasn't going to last long anyway. But they divorce and then Lori comes out and says Joe has been sexually molesting Colby and Tylee. Oh, jeez. All of this is happening during the custody stuff. She's saying, and Colby is saying, yes, Joe molested me. Can I ask... Which happened first? Did she say that he molested him first or did the custody fight happen first? I think the allegations came out after the divorce before working on custody. Because that was a big thing they talked about in the Alan V. Farrow show was that it's It's really common that after a mother will say, like, hey, the child was abused, the attacker, like the abuser, will very quickly then file for custody and be like, see, she's crazy because she's telling him to say that I molested him when I didn't do it. Like, I should get custody because she's crazy. And I was so I'm already like, "Mm." so what we do know is Tylee, I believe, So they had caseworkers assigned to the children to check on them and look into these allegations. And Dateline interviews these caseworkers. And these caseworkers say in their investigation, they definitely did not believe that Tylee had been abused and that Mm -hmm. Tylee never really said that she had been abused. Colby's the one who said, yes, he's been abusing me. However, they say on all their investigations, all their interviews with him, that they don't actually believe that that's true and that they believe that Colby had been manipulated by his mother. Mm -hmm. I will take no stance on what might have happened to Colby because to this day, he does say that Joe touched him. Though I will say... The more that this story goes on and the more that we learn about Lori and we see her actions, I also believe that it could be completely valid that she, Colby was young and she could have, like parents do. Like an implanted memory. Implanted. Mm-hmm. Because she made it a point to talk bad about Joe in front of the kids. And she mm-hmm. made it a point to separate Tylee from her father. Joe wanted to be a part of her life. So they're dealing with this custody battle. And towards the end of it, she moves to Hawaii and takes the kids. And Joe can't move to Hawaii. And so she does it to separate him from his kids. And then when she comes back, she moves to Arizona. And he still has to deal with trying to get in touch with his kids. So take that with a grain of salt. 
the meat of this is that they were having a very messy child custody case. Yeah. This happens in 2005 when they divorce and they're going through that. In 2006, Lori marries Charles Vallow. Takes his last name. Okay. Charles loved Lori. Charles is such everything that everyone says about him and everything that I've learned about him. He was just a really great guy who loved his wife and picked the wrong one. He converted from being a Catholic to being LDS for her. Totally went into the Mormon faith for her. She never had to work. She was a hairdresser, but she would like cut people's hair out of the house. And one thing is um, she liked to dance. And Charles would make sure that whatever house they lived in, that she had an open, empty room with no furniture in it so that she could have a room to dance. Okay. Always just described as being an incredibly supportive, loving, doting husband. He wanted to do what he could to make Lori happy. Charles had two children from a previous marriage. And both him and Lori, when they got married in 2006, were dealing with their individual custody battles. And it's said that the judge even combined some of the hearings for the two of them to be on the same day so that it was just more convenient because they were already there so much. So Charles's previous wife, the mother of his two sons, describes seeing Lori in court all the time. And recognizing that something was off about her and not really wanting her to be around her kids. Charles's two sons. Yeah. Just being like, I really don't want her influence. Um, it's She claims that Lori never really had any interest in those two boys. That they still had, because of the custody agreement, they would have to go to their dad's on certain weekends. And sometimes he had a work trip. And so he wouldn't be home, but they still have to go there because Lori's there. And they said that Lori would just like act like they weren't even there, like pay no attention to them. So Charles's wife is like, I don't really like this, but I'll just try to keep my kids away from you as much as possible. And I'm happy that Charles seems happy. Like when you hear her talk about interviews, she's like, the divorce was messy. But overall, like we both realized that the relationship didn't work. And when I saw that he found someone who made him happy, I was happy for him. Like she has nothing negative to say about the man. Yeah. So 2007, we're going to introduce. Very nice a- of her. Huh? I said this very nice. Did not have anything. Oh, yeah. To say about him. 2007. We're introducing a new character. This is Alex Cox, and this is Lori's brother. Alex is not her only sibling, but Alex is the other main player in this story. And Alex is always described as like, he would do whatever Lori wanted. He thought of himself as Lori's protector. He totally fell in with whatever she was doing. Like, he is just around a lot. And in 2007, he goes and he attacks Joe Ryan with a stun gun, threatening to kill him before Joe can get away. Joe gets away, goes to the cops, and Alex serves 90 days in prison. But yes, Alex attacks Joe with a stun gun and threatens his life. 
He says the reason he did this is because of Lori's allegations about Joe abusing the children. Because she was telling everybody. Sure. Things are tense, but life goes on. And Charles and Lori appear to be happy and healthy. 2014, so we're going to jump ahead seven years. Charles and Lori adopt JJ. So JJ and Tylee are the two that we were sent to do a wellness check on. So here's JJ's entrance. JJ is the biological grandson of Charles's sister, Kay. I know, I know. Again, it's, I'm trying to spell this out in the easiest way without- Game of Thrones shit here. Like, you have to remember all the houses. Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, people are killing each other. So, JJ is Charles's grandnephew, if that makes sense. So, Kay had a son. That son had a baby with this woman, and they were both on drugs- And JJ was born with a drug addiction. And so he had to go through withdrawals like babies do when they're born to moms who did drugs their whole pregnancy. So JJ's parents, Kay's son and that girl, could not take care of the baby and waived like custody or whatever you do. And so Kay gets called to come pick up JJ from the hospital when he's ready. And so she's taking care of JJ for like the first three months of his life. When she realizes, her and her husband realize, we can't take care of this baby. We cannot provide the life that he needs. Um, It's also known around this time. And then a little later, it's confirmed that he is on the spectrum. Uh, So he does have, you know, that type of a disability and needs a little bit of an extra care. And so Charles stepped up and Charles said, I'll take him. I'll love him like he's my own. And everyone describes Charles as being a loving, doting father, like being patient with JJ, really just wanting to be like, take care of JJ, give him the best life possible. He gets JJ a service dog to help with JJ's like comfort and whatnot. So he's really present and really loves these kids, Tylee included as well. At the end of 2014, the gang moves to Hawaii so Lori and Charles and the, the kids. Name, this should be the name of a It's Always Sunny episode. That's what it feels the like. The gang moves to Hawaii. The gang moves to Hawaii. And then in 2016, the gang moves back to Arizona. Charles said it's because they couldn't give JJ the proper care and attention and schooling that he needed in Hawaii. So they yeah. came to Arizona for um, school programs, I think. Now... In 2015 is when people say it started. Lori begins reading these books written by an LDS author. And the books are about this person's experience with a near-death experience, which he then believes gave him the ability to what he says is see through the veil and see through to other dimensions and other worlds and other lives. And ultimately be able to connect and talk with God and Jesus Christ and Moroni. Ultimately. (laughs) Right. And then he's also, uh, he talks all about the end time. So the second coming of Christ. And then I think they believe that there are 144,000 chosen ones who are sent to like 
prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. And he believes he's one of those. He's like a leader of those. And he talks all about the end times. Remember, Mommy Doomsday. Okay. She becomes obsessed. She's like, oh my God, this is my favorite stuff. I love this. This is my kink. Like, I am into it. She's reading all of his books. Friends say she became obsessed. The author, his name, Chad Daybell. Oh, all right. Um, We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Pause on Chad. We'll get back to Chad in a minute. Because in 2018, Joe Ryan wakes up dead. <laughs> anytime so I hear anytime the phrase like woke up dead, wakes up dead, I'm always into it. So Joe dies. He is not found for a week until a neighbor asked for a wellness check because they smelled something and they went in and they found Joe Ryan deceased in his bed as they describe in um a an advanced state of decomposition they call Lori the mother of his children child and they say hey he died do you want to come claim the body and she said i don't know him Stop. <laughs> she said no. She was like, she, I don't want to claim the body. Lori, bitch. But then she didn't tell his family that he died. His family found out a month later when the morgue was like, okay, we got to do something with this guy. Like, get get his, his other family. And they wrote a letter to Joe's brother saying, hey we have your brother's body. Can you please come claim it? Can somebody please come claim it? He's been dead for like a month. Yeah. So. And everybody was like, he's been dead for what? <laughs> he's been dead for 50 years. Oh my God. Um. So we don't ever. <laughs> he's been dead. What are you talking what about? Are you talking? This is weird. Um, We never hear from Joe's brother. He hasn't really done any interviews. Joe's sister, Annie Cushing. She describes being very close to Lori, that she still, even after the divorce, because Tylee is her niece, she still had a relationship with Lori. She still, I I know, get ready. She still wanted to have a relationship with Tylee. And so when she got the news that her brother had been dead for five weeks and Lori didn't tell her, she was like, like, for fuck's sake, the fuck? Right? She calls Lori and Lori says, oh, it's because I thought you wouldn't care. Oh, my God. Because admittedly, Annie had stopped communicating with Joe when the abuse allegations came out. So she hadn't been talking with him, but she was talking with Lori. And so Lori was like, I just thought you wouldn't care. And Annie's like, all right, strike two. But I love Tylee. Can I come down and like see you guys and see Tylee? You know, her dad just died Lori's like sure come on down Annie describes while she was there that Lori was completely unhinged that she was talking about the end of days uh just completely fixated on it Annie texts her daughter while she's there and I think the word she uses to describe Lori is um I think she's like schizophrenic or something where she's like, I think she's just completely lost it. Yeah. 
She said the relationship between Tylee and Lori seems tense and strange. And she also describes being there as being like, it was as though no one cared that Joe was dead. There was no sadness. She said that any time she started to show emotion about her brother's death, Lori would immediately go on this tirade about how, about how Joe was an awful person. Lori said in front of Tylee about her father to Joe's sister, you know, Annie, the world is a much better place without Joe Ryan in it. Jesus Christ. I don't care. Like, I don't know. You don't say that about the father of your child in front yeah, of the like, child. Totally agreed. She also seemed to just, like she did with Colby, she made Tylee grow up too soon. So in all of these yeah. future events, Tylee is going to be there. And that's because fucking Lori drug her around with her so she could manipulate her. Um. Anyways. The other thing that Lori says on this trip to Annie is that she feels sometimes that life would be better if she just put herself and the kids in a car and drove off a cliff. Oh, God. And Annie's like, cool. No one thinks to take these kids away, but Joe's death was ruled a heart attack, but no autopsy was performed and his body was cremated. What the fuck? We'll get back to that in a little bit. But as of right now, Joe Ryan is dead. Lori's living in Arizona with Charles, becoming obsessed with this author and the end times. And at the end of 2018, so not too long after Joe dies, Lori and her close friend Melanie Gibb. So we're going to introduce Melanie Gibb. And Melanie Gibb ultimately is one of our main sources of information about Lori and Charles and everything that got into because she was Lori's best friend. Okay. They attend an LDS. That's my best friend. <laughs> That's my best friend. They also, oh, Stephanie, they had a podcast together. Sarah. Stephanie. Sarah, stop. Stephanie, I can't. They attend an LDS group, uh, LDS event. This event is called Preparing a People. And it's not a you cooking know, for event. The end times. It's not a cooking event. Yes, the end times. It's a preparing the it's people. For the end it's, times. it's for that section of the LDS that is like super ready for the second coming. Yep. And while she was there, she met face to face Chad Daybell. Star-crossed lovers. Here's where they met. Yep. Here's where they met. Now let's hear a little bit about Chad. First off, his name, Chad Guy Daybell. What? what? Chad That's Guy. Not That's, That's not, not a, a real name. name. He looks like a thumb. He, honest to God, seems to be the craziest slash most boring man I have ever seen in pictures. And I will say this, because I've been watching footage of Charles, Lori's husband at the time, and I'm like, you left Charles for this? For this? <sighs> Idiot. All right, a little bit about Chad. Chad Guy Daybell, born 1968, super Mormon. He marries Tammy Douglas. <laughs> super Mormon. Sup all these people are super Mormon. He marries Tammy Douglas in 1990. Tammy is described as being a lovely, supportive, devoted wife, excellent mother, 
Um, she worked as a librarian and Chad was an author and Chad, Chad ran his own publishing company. And when I say Chad ran his own publishing company, I mean, Tammy ran the publishing company and like did a lot of the work for him. Like was just a very supportive, loving partner. Tammy is like Charles in the sense that they both just seem to be partners who loved their spouse, wanted to be supportive, wanted to think the best of them, and no one really has anything negative to say about either one of them. In 2015, Chad hears a voice, because remember, he can see through the veil. Chad hears a voice that tells him he needs to move to Rexburg, Idaho. Chad hears voices all the time, and that's because Chad describes himself as being a holy ghost. He believed he had lived 31 different lives on different planets, and he was now- say. I do say. He's now working on that 32nd. Um, he's now able to reach through the veil and communicate directly with God. Right. I was waiting to hear that phrase. There it is. Yep. So that's Chad. That's what he's about. Preparing a people- is a faction and a group of the Mormon church focused on the end times and the second coming of Christ. So they, he goes to that event because he's a main like speaker there. So he's very outspoken about these beliefs. He's written like 10 books about it. Mm -hmm. Um, He fully thinks he is like number one of the 144,000 chosen to come and clean up this earth. A little bit about, I love the specific numbers too. Right. This story, oh my God, it's just crazy. Melanie, Melanie Gibb, the best friend. That's my best friend. We got a podcast about the end of the world. She's our main source of information now. She says her and Lori, or she says Lori and Chad immediately hit it off when they met at that event. That they immediately started talking about private matter things to a degree, like personal things when they had just met. She said by the end of the weekend retreat, Chad had told Lori that she was an eternal being and she had had 21 past lives. Okay. I mean, sounds a little excessive, but all right. And that the two of them, Chad and Lori, they had been married before in seven of their lives. They had been married before. Like to each other? To each other. Yes. Okay. And Lori's like, sploosh. She's into it. She loves it. Right. She's like, let's do this. And Melanie describes their relationship as she's like, Lori was attracted to him spiritually. And I'm like, yeah, I bet. Because he looks like a thumb. I'm sure she wasn't at him for his body. But I mean, unless she's like super into that. I guess. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Knowing what he did, I'm just like, he's just an ugly person. So Chad... We're going to break off a minute into something that's important, but also took me a while to understand and wrap my head around because Dateline doesn't delve too far into it. We hear a lot about it from Melanie. Chad had a system, a light. Chad had. Chad had. Chad guy had. God. Chad had a system where people would be either light or dark and light people were closer to God on the scale and they could be like one through five or something on the light scale. And then dark people were like closer to Satan and they were the ones who were, 
who were bad and they were dark. And he sent Lori this list full of people that they knew, celebrities. And get this, Stephanie. You know who they say is the lowest on the dark scale, like the worst of the worst? Oprah Winfrey. Stop. I can't make this up on my own. I really wish that I could, but it's this is too true. Oprah is a blessing. So Chad has this light and dark scale. He also has this thing where he will tell you that some people are zombies. And a zombie means that that person who they are is no longer them, but it's been taken over by someone else. And they're here to wreak havoc and ruin the 144,000s mission. And their big mission is to get rid of all the zombies. Sure. Okay? 2019, January 2019. Chad tells Lori that Charles is now a zombie. Her husband. That the real Charles (laughs) is gone. And that there was a demon living in his body. A demon that went by the name of Nick Schneider. <laughs> uh, just oh no, there's a demon inside me. What's his name? What's his evil demon name? He goes by Nick Schneider. <coughs> Nick Schneider. Nick Schneider says your mom sucks cocks in hell. He does. But he pushes his glasses up on his nose as he does it. So, yes, Nick, of all the names. I just, it's the stupid details. Right. Stupid. January 28th, 2019. Charles is out of town on a business trip. While he's gone, Lori gets herself busy. She transfers $35,000 out of his business checking account. She cancels... Charles's flight back home. She goes to the airport where he had parked his truck so that he could drive home and she takes his truck. No, I'm like, all of this is so bad. She calls Charles and she says that she is a God sent to carry out the work of the chosen 144,000 during Christ's second coming. And she will kill Charles if he gets in her way. After all, he's a zombie, Nick, not her husband. Oh, and she also says that Jesus is coming back in July of 2020. Of course. So she is. She just called him and she's like, you're not my husband. You are taken over by the body of this Nick Schneider. Uh, I'll kill you. She says, I'll destroy you. Is one of the things, because then when Charles goes to the cops, the cops are like, she threatened your life. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, what did she say? And she said, he goes, she said she was going to destroy me. And the cop goes, well, it's not a direct threat. She didn't say she's going to murder you. Like, she'll kill you. Like, she can get you fired. Like, uh, yes. Destroy you is subjective. That's exactly what they said. Destroy you is subjective. Ooh. I hate it. I hate it. January 30th, Charles gets to the airport for his flight back home. And that's when he realizes that she's ruined everything. He buys a new flight back home, gets to the airport. His truck isn't there. So he has to call a friend to drive him home. He gets home. His house keys were in his truck. 
He's trying to call his kids, trying to call Lori. No one's answering. He gets to the house and some of his shit is out on the front lawn. So Charles calls the cops. And Charles is like, listen, I don't know what I'm going to expect when I get in there. I can't get in there. I can't get in touch with my kids. She's gone crazy. I'm scared for my safety and my children's safety. And he asked to put... For fuck's sake, yeah. He asked to put a psychiatric hold on Lori. But throughout the entire time, he's saying, like, I love her. I've tried to be supportive, but her religious beliefs have gotten out of control. And now I'm scared. He's like, but I love, you know, throughout the whole thing, he's like, I love her. I want to make this work. Yeah. They break the door down to the house and they go inside. And at that moment... Charles realizes that Lori and the kids and all their shit and his computer and all of his clothes are gone. Gone. Jesus Christ. So he requests a psychiatric hold. He also, I'm going to play a clip of him talking to police outside of the hotel that they found her in because she went and took the kids and stayed in a hotel. And so he's outside talking to police about the situation and what's happening. And so I'm going to play a bit of that clip right now. It's going to be a little fuzzy because it's a police body cam, but it'll hopefully sound better in like the actual editing. So. What's going on? Why is she here and you're not here or are you staying here with her? Long story. She's had kind of a break from reality. Mm -hmm. She thinks she... You LDS? Yes. She thinks she's married to Corona in the past. This is her you think she's what? Married to Corona at the top of the temple. Angel. 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 LDS. Angel. They don't she's let me in there. probation, and she knows when the second coming is happening next year, so there's a prophet. Okay. He knows and she knows she knows about it. She meets with Corona Jesus Christ face okay. to face in the temple every day. I've tried to support her as much as I could, but it's gotten really, really bad lately. She's had a break. Says I'm Nick Schneider. I've taken over Charles's body, and Charles has been killed. I'm going to kill you. You're going to be murdered today or tomorrow. I can have. I can do it. I'm not going to my priest with my power. She's got, she does priesthood blessings. She does. Um, so who's so Nick Schneider? Okay. okay. That's the real question. Okay. I know, right? I'm like, who is Nick Snyder? He's not a real person. It's just a name that he came up with. So that's just a bit of sort of what happens. But Charles reaches out, tells the police, she's threatening me. She's threatening my life. And the police. Yeah, I heard that part. Call her in for, uh, he also mentions that she's become unhinged. Her religious beliefs have gotten out of control. She believes she's married to Moroni, which is one of the angels. I know that's an angel in the church of um, yeah. Mormon Mormonism. So he's like the, I think of him as like the Gabriel of Mormonism. Yeah, but <laughs> like I think Gabriel, Gabriel is, who, is like, in Mormon beliefs too. Like, I don't know. I mean, like Gabriel is who came and like told Mary, like Mary, you're gonna have God's baby. Moroni is like who came down and is like Joseph, you're gonna find the golden yeah. plates. January thirty. 30- not a lot, but I feel like I know a I know a good amount about like the Mormon well, theology. Book of Mormon helped. Well, not just from the Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon told you a bunch of not right shit, too, because oh, it was yeah. all, like, jokey. Um, okay, so 
the next day, Lori shows up to the police station. Like, you know, they asked her to. She's got a psychiatric hold. She shows up with Tylee in tow. And she tells the police a sob story about how Charles has been cheating on her and she found out about it and Charles got really mad. And so she took the kids because she knew he was coming home that night and she took the kids and went to a hotel so that she wouldn't have to deal with him because he was going to be so mad because she caught him cheating. And that was what she told them. And she's this little blonde haired, blue eyed white woman coming in with a smile on her face and her young child saying, my husband got mad because I found out that he was cheating on me when she's cheating on him. She's cheating on him. At this point in time, we're in the beginning of 2019. I was going to say this later. I'm just going to put it in here now. In November of 2018, Chad... And Lori take themselves up to an upper room in Lori's Mormon temple and they have a sealing ceremony where they seal themselves together for eternity. Yeah. And then Lori's like, Charles is cheating on me. That's why I ran away. I have a second husband. Like, bitch. So the cops let her go. Totally let her go. Nothing comes of it. She doesn't even have the psychiatric hold. She goes in because Melanie like drops her off. She goes in, she talks with the psychiatrist and then they let her leave. They're like, she's not crazy. Jesus. She's no, she's posing no danger to her children. That's what everyone is saying so far. Still February, 2019, immediately after this happens, Charles files for divorce. He doesn't want to, he wants to make the marriage work, but he files for divorce. And everyone recommends, and he does it, he removes Lori as the beneficiary on his life insurance policy. And he changes it over to his sister, Kay, JJ's biological grandmother. However, Lori does not know that he has done this. Lori disappears again for 58 days, leaves the kids, disappears doesn't answer phone calls, doesn't answer text messages. She goes back to Hawaii. She she goes to visit her friend April to try and recruit April to be part of the 144,000. She's down there all 58 days trying to persuade her. And April was like, nah, kind of sounds like a cult. Thanks for visiting. Right? She's like, yeah, I got you not so Lori went back to Arizona like nothing fucking happened and Charles welcomes her back and in March of 2019 Charles drops the divorce proceedings he even sends an email to his lawyers saying I'm dropping it um love will prevail or something like that some other such shit right so the they're not they're no longer divorcing. However, they are still separated and Lori moves into a separate townhouse. April of 2019, okay. Charles is talking to Kay. He's becoming a little more aware of how fully unhinged Lori is, of how crazy she is. And honestly, he doesn't know the half of it. Chad and Lori, full-blown emotional spiritual affair. They're married. 
Chad tells Lori that they have a purpose to bring the light people into the fold of the 144,000. And when people like when Melanie, so Melanie knows about all of this because Melanie's Lori's best friend. So when Melanie asked Chad about his wife, Tammy, Chad is like, don't worry. I know that when Tammy passes, that this is what she would want, that she would want us to be together, that she's basically like helping to make this happen. Tammy would want this. Tammy is alive and well and at home with Chad and hers five children <laughs> while all of this Christ. is happening. Tammy is none the wiser. She is living her life, taking care of her babies and being a librarian. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Chad also says, again, Charles is a zombie and Charles will also be passing away soon because he's so far on the dark scale and he's a zombie. Um, yeah, of course. Just that he'll, he will pass away. It will happen. Chad also created for him and Lori portals for them to talk to each other through in each other's closets. So he went into her closet and made her a little portal so that she could look through the veil and talk to him. Them in there through the veil shit. I mean, that's a Mormon thing, it's, but still. It's crazy. June 2019. Lori's niece, we're introducing another Melanie. It'll get a little confusing, but I'm not diving too far into her conspiracy theory stuff. However, Melanie divorces her husband named Brandon, and she moves into the same neighborhood as Lori. Melanie's husband, Brandon, attributes it to the fact that he tells people outright, Melanie is in a cult with her aunt. Melanie will do anything her aunt says. That's why she's leaving me. And it's because she's in a fucking cult. And he was not quiet about it. Melanie goes and moves in next door to Lori. July 11th, 2019. Charles comes to take JJ to school. And an argument occurs. At the time, Alex, Lori's brother, who stun-gunned Joe Ryan. Alex had come over and stayed the night at the house. Story goes, Charles got mad. Tylee ran into her room to get her baseball bat to protect her mother. Charles yeah. then takes the baseball bat from Tylee and starts swinging it around like a madman. At which point, I guess he hits Alex in the back of the head with the baseball bat. So Alex yeah. goes into his room, grabs a gun, comes out. Shoots Charles twice in the chest, killing him. Jesus. Meanwhile, Lori, at some point during that, has taken the children, put them in the car, and left to take JJ to school. Alex then calls 911, says, I just shot my brother-in-law in self-defense. He was coming at me with a baseball bat. Cops show up. Cops show up before Lori gets back. Alex's story is... Lori and the kids left way before the gun went off or the gun was even brought out. And during his whole interview or talking with the police, he's got a little napkin and he's dabbing at the back of his head and pulling it back. And there's like the teeniest, tiniest scratch on the back of his head where he's got a little bit of blood, right? Yeah. Apparently, Charles smacked him on the back of the head with the baseball bat 
But Charles is like 270 pounds fit man who played minor league baseball when he was younger. Yeah. So I feel like if he had hit Alex in the head, Alex wouldn't have gotten back up again. Yeah. Lori shows up. And before Lori can talk to Alex, Lori tells the cops, yes, her and the kids left when the gun came out. And Tylee says that they were standing in the driveway when she heard a gunshot. So those stories don't match up. Lori's demeanor is also very odd when the cops talk to her. So she comes back again with Tylee, Tylee in tow, Tylee next to her. And she's just very calm. And she shows up and she already knows what happened because she was there. And a lot of people just describe her demeanor as being fucked, honestly. She's like giggly and conversational and very light and bubbly. And I'm going to play you a clip of that part. Because her husband is lying dead on her living room floor. And she knows that. And she's so nonchalant. How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's why the neighbors don't know Gotcha. <laughs> like, hi, neighbor, sorry. So she's like giggly and chatty, and she's like, you know, how long have you lived here? Oh, just like three weeks. Uh, that's why the neighbors don't know us. We're like, hi, neighbor, so sorry. Like a typical white woman. Right. Ultimately, police rule it a self-defense, and Alex and Lori walk away. Oh, my God. They were never charged. And neighbors report Lori having a pool party at the house that night. She also calls Colby, her oldest son, and says that Charles had a heart attack. And Colby had grown very fond of Charles. Colby didn't like Joe, but Colby loved Charles. Lying about people being dead. So she said he had a heart attack. So Colby shows up to the house to talk to his mother. And that's when his mother says, well, actually, your uncle Alex shot him. And Colby's like, why the fuck are you lying to me? But wait, don't forget, Charles had two other children, two other boys who were with their mother. You know what Lori did? She texted them. Oh, my God. So sorry. Your dad passed away, but I still love you. Heart emoji. And then when they called her after getting that text message, she wouldn't pick up their calls. The mom of the two boys, Charles's ex-wife, says that her one son was just in the front yard screaming. August of 2019. Lori tries to sell JJ's service dog. You don't sell a service dog. That's not something you're allowed to do. They're trained for a specific person and a specific type of service and disability. So when it's found out that she's trying to sell his dog, the original handler came in and said, you can't do that. But if you need to get rid of the dog, I, I have to take it back. I'll help you. Yeah. But like, I'm, I'm the one that's taking it. It's not just going. So she got rid of his service dog. She got rid of the thing that helped JJ and calmed him down. August of 2019 was also the last time that Kay, JJ's grandmother, spoke with JJ 
And they say that the FaceTime was short. It was less than a minute. And it seemed like JJ was being coached by someone off screen because he kept looking up. And then he was just like, hi, grandma, love you. Okay, I have to go. Bye. And that was the last time that Kay and Larry Woodcock saw their grandson. September of 2019, two months, not even, after Charles died, Lori, Tyler, and JJ move to Rexburg, Idaho. You know who else lives in Rexburg, Idaho? No, I don't. Chad and Tammy. Remember? Because he got a vision in 2015 that he was supposed to move there. He sure did. So Lori, Tyler, JJ all pack up and move to Rexburg, Idaho. Alex, Lori's brother, and Melanie, the niece, soon follow, and they all move into the same apartment complex. September 8th. Here we go. Yep. I was like, we're getting to it. Now we're getting to specific dates. September 8th, 2019. Lori, Tyler, Tylee, JJ, and Alex take a day trip to Yellowstone National Park. This is the last time that Tylee was seen. There are two photographs taken that show Tylee with her brother, and Tylee is seen on the Yellowstone cameras of the National Park. September 22nd, best friend Melanie comes to visit. At that visit, she doesn't see Tylee, but Lori says it's because Tylee's in college and she's just super busy with her friends. She also tells Melanie that JJ has now become a zombie. And that JJ's crazy and he's lost it. And he's a zombie. She also tells Melanie that Tylee had become a zombie too, but Tylee had become a zombie earlier on when she was like 12, 13 during her rebellious teenage years. That's when it really happened. But Melanie, uh, uh, Lori didn't know that that's what it was, but that's when Tylee became a zombie. While they're recording an episode of their podcast, Melanie says that she saw Alex carrying JJ into Lori's room to lay him down to sleep. She says that JJ was asleep when Alex was carrying him. That's the last time that Melanie saw JJ. The next day, September 23rd, a neighbor's ring doorbell picks up footage of JJ and a child playing in the front yard. And that is the last confirmed sighting of JJ Vallow. November 24th, Lori formally removes JJ from his school, saying she's going to be homeschooling him. October 1st, Lori rents a storage unit, and she's seen visiting the unit with Alex and also with Chad, dropping things off throughout all of October and early November. October 2nd, Brandon, Melanie's ex, who is like, my ex-wife is now in a cult, he got shot at. Someone shot him while he was driving through his passenger side window, didn't hit him, thank God, and the person sped off. But as they sped off, Brandon got a look at the car, and they were driving a white Jeep. A white Jeep that he recognized, because that white Jeep belonged to Charles Vallow. God. It's assumed that it was Alex. Shoot, trying to kill Brandon, shooting at Brandon. Yeah. The same day, October 2nd, 2019, a pair of wedding rings are purchased via Amazon on Charles Vallow's Amazon account. October 9th, 2019, 
a day after returning from a visit with her sister, Tammy Daybell has a very startling experience, and she posts about it on her Facebook. And hold on, because I also had this one pulled up, and I'm going to just read the post straight out. So Tammy returns from her visit, and then Tammy posts on Facebook, Okay, neighbors, something really weird just happened, and I want you all to know so you can watch out. I'd gotten home and parked in our front driveway. As I was getting stuff out of the back seat, a guy wearing a ski mask was suddenly standing behind the back of my car with a paintball gun. He shot at me several times, although I don't think it was loaded. I yelled for Chad, and he ran off around the back of my house. I have no idea what his motive was, and he never spoke even after I asked him several times what he thought he was doing. I was about to smack him with my freezer meats from enrichment tonight when I decided to yell for Chad instead. So a dude shows up to Tammy's house, shoots at her with a paintball gun, but nothing goes off. Chad comes out, he runs away. October 19th, 10 days later, Tammy Daybell woke up dead. God damn it. Chad said she had been sick. She went to bed with a terrible cough and she never woke up. At the time, no autopsy was performed on Tammy and they buried her on October 25th. November 5th, less than two weeks later, Chad and Lori Daybell get married in Hawaii. They're pictured wearing the very same rings that were purchased on Charles Vallow's Amazon account on October 2nd. They go back to Rexburg, and for the coming weeks, Chad tells people that Lori has no children, or that Lori's children are grown and out of the house and that they're empty nesters. And some people even report that Lori told them that Tylee had died years earlier. November 26. I love telling people that people are dead. November 26. Kay and Larry Woodcock call on a wellness check for JJ. And this is where we started. The cops show up to the house and they're like, hey, we need to see JJ. We need to see that he's okay. When the cops show up, however, Lori's not home. Alex and Chad are at the house. And so the cops are like, we need to know where JJ is. And Alex says, oh, he's with his grandmother, Kay, in Arizona. Bah! Wrong answer, bitch. She's the one who called the wellness check. So the cops are like, mm, we'll be back when Lori's here. At that point, Chad calls best friend Melanie. And Chad says, yeah, she did. Melanie, the cops are going to be calling you. Don't answer. And Melanie's like, weird, but okay. The cops come back. The cops ask Lori, hey, where's your fucking son? Where's your son with special needs? No one's seen him since September. She says, JJ's in Arizona with Melanie. He's down there because they're going to be moving back down there for the school. And so she sent JJ early to get situated. But he's with Melanie. He's totally fine. So the cops call Melanie. And Melanie doesn't answer because Chad told her not to. So the cops come back and they're like, yo, she didn't answer. And Lori goes, oh, my God, (laughs) it's probably because they're at the movies. JJ really wanted to see Frozen (laughs) 2. They're just at the movies. That's all it is. They're at the movies. 
And the cops say, okay, we'll have her call us when they get out of the movies. So Lori calls Melanie. Hey, girl. (laughs) Isn't that silly? So I told the cops that JJ was with you and that you guys were at the movies. Could you just take pictures of like random kids and like send it to the cops if they think it's JJ? And Melanie was like, I don't feel comfortable with this. Right. Of course not. And then Melanie calls Lori later and is like, hey, do you have JJ? And Lori goes, no. And Melanie's like, is he safe? And Lori's like, yes, he's safe and he's happy. So Melanie calls the cops and Melanie's like, I don't have JJ or Tylee. On November 27th, the next day, the cops show up with a warrant. Chad and Lori, they gone. They're gone. Yeah, yeah they are. December f- They're gone, girl. They're gone, They're girl. Gone, girl. December 1st, Chad and Lori catch a flight down to Hawaii. No children are with them. Oh, God. December 11th, while Chad and Lori are in Hawaii, police exhume Tammy's body. They now believe her death to be suspicious and they're performing an autopsy. Yeah. December 12th, the day after they exhume Tammy's body, Alex Cox, Lori's brother, woke up dead. God damn it. He was found unresponsive on the floor of his bathroom. His autopsy reveals that he died from a blood clot in his lungs. I still call it suspicious. Yeah, I was... That's, I was about to say, like, hmm, <laughs> don't know. December 20th, Rexburg police. I feel like, um, you know, that the thing I sent you of Cardi B. That's suspicious. That's all of this. That's suspicious. Yes. That's weird. Everything I hear. That's weird. That's what this whole story is. That's yes. suspicious. Except she's been suspicious from the beginning. Charles Vallow tried to tell the cops, my wife is suspicious and she's gonna hurt me and those kids. And the cops were like, I don't know. She cracked a pretty good joke. So she seems fine. She giggled. She's yeah. fine. December 20th, police officially make the announcement that JJ and Tylee Vallow are missing and their disappearance is possibly linked to Tammy Daybell's death. And... That Chad and Lori are persons of interest. And they're also persons spotted holding hands walking down beaches in Hawaii while all of this is going on. The nerve. January 3rd, FBI, who's now involved, serves a search warrant of the Daybell home, seizing computers, cell phones, journals, etc. January 25th, Kauai PD in Hawaii, serve Lori with a notice saying she must produce the kids to the courts in Indiana within five days. I always forget that Kauai is a place. Yeah. That's why I'm just generalizing it with Hawaii. Super Kauai. But they always went to Kauai in Hawaii. That was her favorite spot. She married Joe Ryan in Kauai and she married Chad Daybell in Kauai. (laughs) The next day, January 25th, January 26, news reporters catch up with Chad and Lori. Police seize their rental car and search their rental apartment. Chad and Lori continue to refuse and comment, continue to refuse to comment on where the children are. They're completely unhelpful and unresponsive. January 30th, that's the deadline. There's no Lori. There's no kids. 
February 3rd. Remember that storage unit that she rented back in October? Journalists and reporters gain access to that storage unit. Inside, they find all of the children's belongings. Backpack with JJ's initials, baby pictures of all the children, blankets, one of Colby's old jerseys, all of her kids' things in the storage unit. February 20th, five months after her children went missing, Kauai police arrest Lori Vallow. She is charged with desertion and non-support of dependent children. And my question was, did she file, did she claim them on her taxes? Her dependent children. That's your question. That's what I thought when I was doing this research. And then when you and I were chit-chatting and we were talking about taxes and you were like, my mom claimed me as a dependent until she died. I'm like, did Lori claim her children after they died? Oh, no. March 5th. Lori's extradited back to Idaho. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Lori's extradited back to Idaho where she is currently in jail on a $1 million bail. June 9th, 7 a.m., Rexburg PD and the FBI execute a search warrant at the Daybell's home. They scour the backyard and within hours, the remains of Tylee Ryan, 17 years old, and J.J. Vallow, 7 years old, were found. Yeah. This gets sad. Tylee was found in the pet cemetery that was in the back of the Daybell's home. Her body had been dismembered and it had been burned. Oh, man. JJ was found a few yards away by the pond. His body had been wrapped in plastic and was completely bound with duct tape. We still do not know what the actual cause of death for the children was. At 11 a.m., after finding Tylee and JJ, Chad Daybell is arrested. He is currently in jail on a $1 million bail. Both Chad and Lori have been charged with felony counts of concealment of evidence, conspiracy to commit destruction, and other things in that realm. But not murder. Not on there at all. What we've learned so far. So a lot of this has come out. The end of 2020, beginning of 2021, police scoured Alex Cox's phone records. And we know that on September 9th, the morning after the Yellowstone trip where Tylee was last seen, Alex's phone shows him at Lori's apartment at 3 a.m. And then around 9.30 a.m., his phone places him in Chad Daybell's backyard and he's there until 10.45 a.m. That same day, at 11.30 a.m., Chad sends a text message to Tammy, his wife, who is still very much alive. Of course. And he says, well, I've had an interesting morning. I felt I should burn all of the limb debris by the fire pit before it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun, and while he was still walking along, I got close enough that one shot did the trick. He is now in our pet cemetery. Fun times! Exclamation point. Oh, God. That's horrible. All of this is horrible. What we believe to have happened is that 
they shot Tylee and then dismembered her and tried to burn her. We know that one neighbor heard a gunshot. And we know that another neighbor saw the fire pit being used, which they thought was rare because they rarely ever use that fire pit. Yeah. September 23rd, the day after Melanie Gibbs, best friend Melanie, saw Alex carry a sleeping JJ through the house. She wakes up and JJ's not in the house. And she's like, hey, Lori, where's JJ? And Lori says JJ was acting like a total zombie. So he went to stay with his uncle Alex. Oh, God. Them and the fucking zombies. That day, from 9.50 a.m. to 10.15 a.m., Alex's phone hits back at Chad Daybell's backyard near the fire pit or near the pond. Yeah. What we believe happened there is that some people speculate that J.J. was already dead when Melanie saw him being taken through the house. Otherwise, it's assumed that he was taken when he was, like, asleep. They killed him, and then they went over to Chad's, and he was only there for a short window. But let's not forget, Chad has experience as a grave digger. So who else would know how to get it done quickly and efficiently for a seven-year-old child? The goddamn grave digger Chad Daybell. As of today, they are both in jail. Their their pre-trial motions are scheduled for June 9th, one year to the day that Tylee and JJ were found. Their jury trials have recently been postponed There's been no rescheduled date announced. No one has been fucking charged with murder. Yet. Police are still currently investigating Tammy and Charles's deaths. And recently, Annie Cushing, Joe Ryan's sister, she has a petition going around to reopen his case as part of this as a suspicious death. Yeah. And that's where we are. To this day. Right? I hate everything about this. When I was doing a lot of research on this, some of the podcasts I were I was listening to were covering it real time before they found the kids. And that was yeah. really hard to listen to because everyone was like, I hope those kids really are just holed yeah. down in a bunker somewhere because she's so obsessed with the end times that she's like hiding her kids, but she can't talk about it because it's this religious cult. Yeah. But no, like, she went almost half a year with her kids buried in her now husband's backyard. And she knew it the whole time. She prepared. She bought that storage unit. She got rid of JJ's service dog a month before she killed him. It's so sick. It's absolutely fucked, which is why I and the other thing I listen to are people will say, who who triggered this? A lot of people claim Chad is being the puppeter and Lori was the puppet. I think Lori is the main culprit. I think that Lori had something to do with Joe Ryan's death. 
I yeah. absolutely do. There's also footage of her talking in one of her Mormon cult groups about how she wanted to murder him. And she looked it up in the Bible and it says, you know, if someone comes against me three times and I can murder him, then it's allowed. Yeah. She's like, but then I went and I talked to Temple and I, I got better and I didn't murder him. I definitely, I didn't, I didn't murder him. <laughs> I didn't, I did. I didn't. I didn't murder him. I didn't, I didn't murder him. It's the Lori Vallow book. If I didn't, I did it. <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't. <sighs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's the case this week. I feel like it's probably going to be popular coming up because of the new Dateline thing that went out. But Dateline also did an entire series like the thing about Pam called Mommy Doomsday that has interviews with Colby, interviews with everyone. And it's very good if you're interested in learning more about this case. And there are other different facets and avenues I could have gone down with the cult stuff and with her niece Melanie and her brother Alex. But it is just too much. And this story is complex enough as it is. Yeah. So there it is. This is a long episode, but I couldn't think of a way to split it into two parts. So here you go. No, it was good. It was just, yeah, that was, that was heavy, but like, good. It's just crazy. It's all crazy. So many people woke up dead. So many people woke up dead, all associated with Lori Vallow. Coincidence? I think not. Doubtful. Also, she killed her own children children her own daughter and tried to burn the body and the thing is is i think she's gonna get away by saying i wasn't there i didn't physically do it and i think that's why they killed alex is because alex did it and the day after they exhumed tammy alex dies hmm maybe that's because alex knows something you know who else was there for a death tylee Tylee witnessed the death of Charles, and Tylee died. That's awful. JJ was a handful. JJ was going to get in the way of her new, carefree, no kids, double income, no kids, doomsday lifestyle with Chad. So JJ had to go. It's sad. This story's still ongoing, so if y'all want to follow it, there are subreddits devoted, there are Facebook pages devoted. Hopefully, there is justice for JJ, Tylee, Tammy, Charles, and Joe in this story. Yeah. Because these people are murderers. And they got away with it because they look like white, upstanding members of society. The worst kind. The worst. White people on their (laughs) bullshit. And religious. Just the worst. Yeah, Mormons fucking killing babies, their own babies. But I bet they believe in QAnon. (sighs) She needs to believe in something. Hopefully she's going to prison for the rest of her life. No more Hawaii trips for you, Lori. No more. I'm like sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) And I hyped this up so much. I was like, I'm so excited. I got this story so much. No, it is really good, though. There's just so much and like. That's awful and that's horrible. And I hope she spends the rest of her life in jail. I do too. Prison. I do too. I hope they both do. Hashtag fuck Lori Vallow. And she wants to go by Lori Daybell and I will never. (laughs) I will never. Never. 
Thank you guys for buckling up for this long episode of Dead Time Stories. Yeah, this was a long one. I'm glad I decided to opt out of having a full story. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good choice. That was a good choice. Yeah, there was a lot there. There was. Well, if you guys like this uh, this show. <laughs> I know. Do we really ask for, like, money after talking about all of this? But yeah. Always, because this is America, and as much as I hate capitalism, that's how it that's is. How so if you want to support our show, we have a Patreon that you can subscribe to for $1, $5, 10 or $15 with tons of awesome bonus content every single month. We have a website where you can buy merch, which is Deadtime Stories with a Z, all one word, dot com. You can email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. And of course, we know times is hard, even though the economy is bigger and mark up. Um, but <laughs> I know it's still terrible. <laughs> you can support us totally for free by giving us a five star review on iTunes, and that algorithm will help other people find us. It will. And that's a big help to our show. Super huge help. More people who we can yell at and tell them to start from the beginning. Start at the beginning! <laughs> That's what our new well, start should be. Just yelling. Start at the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if you made it through that, you're a real listener. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And, and this, this has been... been Dead, Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Kernison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 